Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. You know, George in his welcome um, instructed us all on how to take out our bulletin and read it. And I thought, man, you guys know how to do that. As soon as I get up here, you take out your bulletin and start reading it, right? But now you've already done that, so we can just jump right in. A husband bought his wife a beautiful-looking diamond ring for Christmas. And a friend of his said, but I thought your wife wanted a four-wheel drive uh, vehicle for Christmas. Husband said, yes, she does. But where am I going to buy a fake Jeep? Listen, if you're not in the holiday spirit yet, you haven't been paying attention, okay? As was already mentioned, most of us were here this weekend and got to enjoy the cantata. Um, and thanks to Dave and all of so many of you that put in a lot of time and effort on that and made it just top notch. In fact, I've told several people, I think it was my favorite one yet. And I love the fact that it wasn't just about the the birth of Jesus, it told the Jesus story. I mean, it told about the importance of the birth of Jesus and what that meant for all eternity. And I just appreciated the joy and the excitement that was here this weekend. Uh, you know, boy, any time we can put joy and Jesus together, count me in. But I want to kind of springboard off that joy and that excitement that the cantata had this weekend. And I want to talk for the next couple of weeks about Jesus leaving heaven and being born in a barn in Bethlehem and just how that changed the world forever. And I'm calling this little short sermon series, Please Come Home for Christmas. You know, I have been blessed to have grown up with wonderful memories of home. But I know for a lot of people, and probably for a lot of people in this room, those weren't your experiences of home. I know for a lot of people, home was not a happy place. And maybe for some of you, home does not fill you with pleasant memories. Maybe for you, home brings back heartache. Not a lot of love in your home. Maybe it doesn't bring back warm, fuzzy memories for you. I'm actually going to talk about that next week. But for me, it's always been a very special place. Every house that I've ever lived in, for the most part, has been a very happy home. Now, I know we all have this longing that home is going to be better for the next generation, but for me, I, I, I love my home. I always have. In fact, here is a picture. I just ran past it. That's my home that I grew up in in western Pennsylvania. A big old farmhouse built before the Civil War. That's actually my father taking his boots off on a wet, cold day. I took that picture about 40 years ago. Um, two summers ago, I went back home. I did a wedding there. I stood in that same place and looked at that same house, and it was really sort of eerie in a way. Now you go some places and everything changes. Not so in western Pennsylvania. Very little had changed about that spot and about my hometown. Now I felt, I stood there and I just felt like I'm home. I'm back home. The story of Jesus' actual birth begins with a family going back home. Let's take a look at the text. 
Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. I want to bring your attention to a verse in the story there that we don't usually focus on when we read that narrative, and it's the very first verse in the second chapter. Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Don't rush past that piece of information. Caesar wanted to count the people. And the reason why Caesar wanted to count the people was that so, so that Caesar could tax the people. Which is really kind of amazing when you think about it. One guy makes the decision, I want to count everybody so I can tax them. And the money that comes in is all going to go to me. Pretty amazing when you think that one guy had that much power. And the question you kind of comes up is, why would Caesar do this? And the short answer, and I think the right answer is, because he could. Because he had all the power. You didn't push back against Rome. You didn't question Caesar. Not if you wanted to live very long. Caesar Augustus came to the conclusion, I am large and I am in charge. I'm the law. What's good for me is really good for the rest of the world. As a matter of fact, there's actually an ancient inscription that has been found, actual archaeological evidence of what Caesar Augustus considered himself to be and how he felt about himself. And the inscription says this, Caesar Augustus is the Savior of the world. That's what was written about Caesar Augustus in the first century. Caesar Augustus is the Savior of the world. That language, Savior of the world, that's pretty loaded language, isn't it? But that's how Caesar saw himself. In fact, Caesar claimed divinity. But then the Gospel of Luke tells us about a very strange thing happening. Caesar makes this decree that the whole world was going to be counted and taxed and in another part of the world that he would never visit, in a place that he'd probably never heard of, a guy that he certainly had never met and never would meet by the name of Joseph, was on his way to his hometown of Bethlehem to be counted. And it just so happens that Bethlehem was the town that ancient prophecy talked about being the place where the Messiah one day would be born. And so you read this story and you sort of wonder, who's really in charge here? I mean, who really is in control? Is it really Caesar who claims to be the Savior of the world? Or is something else going on here? Is it just some random circumstance that Joseph and Mary end up in Bethlehem the very time she's about to go into labor? Or is maybe God in charge? Is maybe God setting the table for the coming of the real Savior of the world? Is maybe God using the circumstances of the day, the greed of Caesar, the power of Rome, to fulfill His purposes? The actual birth of Jesus begins with Joseph going home. 
And we don't know very much about Joseph's home. We don't know if he had property there. We don't know how long ago it had been since he'd been there in Bethlehem. In fact, he might have never been in Bethlehem. We don't know if he still had family living there. Now, we can infer from the text that he did not. All we know is that for Joseph, home was a town called Bethlehem. And he was going home. My father-in-law, Martha's dad, fought in World War II in the Pacific Theater. My mother-in-law, her mom, served as an army nurse stationed in Alaska at the very end of World War II. There was a really popular Christmas song written during the war, still popular today, by the way. The song began, I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. And the song ends, and I don't have to tell you this, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. Martha's 94-year-old mother says to this day, she can't hear that song without getting choked up. Now home is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? Home can be a place where, where there's more joy than anywhere else on the face of the planet. And home can also be a place where there's more pain than anywhere else on the face of the planet. Home is a really hard thing to define. But here's what I know. Home is where we are supposed to be. Home is where we are supposed to belong. Home is where we are supposed to feel safe. But we don't live in a world that's always safe. And there are a lot of people who are excluded. And there are a lot of times and places where love does not prevail. This longing for home, our homesickness, is a need that's something that we can't satisfy on our own. It goes much deeper than what we can satisfy. We're made for a deeper home. And Jesus actually talks about home quite a bit. He'll say in John chapter 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And then Jesus makes this amazing promise in verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him. And he'll come to him and make our home with him. You are meant, amazingly enough, you are meant to be the place where God calls home. God wants for you to be at home in Him. He wants to be at home in you. In the book of Revelation, Jesus would put it this way. Look, here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I'll come in. We'll share a meal as friends. Jesus would tell stories about home. He told a story about a prodigal son who made some terrible decisions. Maybe you can relate. He wounds his father. He wastes his money. And he wakes up in pain one day and he says, I've got to go home. I don't even know if they'll take me back. But I've got to go home. Home has got to be better than what I'm going through right now. What the boy didn't know was that back home, his father was waiting for him with open arms. 
And Jesus is trying to get the message across wherever you are, whatever you've done. Your heavenly Father is just waiting for you to come home. But let's go back to Jesus' birth. I want to take a look at the, the familiar story. And I want to single out a, a special group in this story. The, this group is certainly not the, the focus of the story, but they play a major role. Uh, I want you, as we look at the story that we know so well, I want you to pay close attention to the shepherds in the story. I'm going to pick up the reading in, in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. Mary has already given birth to Jesus by the time we get here. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. <laughs> yeah, right. You say, boy, I'd love to see an angel. Mm. Verse 10, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning all that had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were just shepherds. But now they had a message. They were just shepherds. But now they had a mission. They were just shepherds. But now they're going to be life changers. These shepherds, they really are the very first people who we read about telling other people their Jesus story. They went and told people their Jesus story. You remember last week I, I kind of talked about uh, the announcement that beginning in 2019, we are going to focus on every believer a witness. That everyone who calls themselves a believer of Jesus needs to be witness to and a witness for Jesus. And I had some people come up to me, some of you come up to me after services last week and said, now tell me more about this because I don't like, and then you told me what you didn't like. Or, what is this actually going to look like because I'm not very comfortable and then you told me what you weren't really comfortable with. Here's what it's going to be like. It's going to be like a bunch of shepherds who were just out minding their own business one night, living their shepherd lives, when God showed up and did something amazing. It's going to be like a bunch of guys who have an amazing story to tell. When these men, these shepherds, realized this changes everything. 
When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds became witnesses. They weren't working on some quota. They hadn't memorized some spiel. They weren't going back quoting Old Testament prophecy to lend validity to their claim. They were just talking about what they'd seen. They were just talking about what they'd heard. They were excited to tell people what they knew. They just told their story. It was up to the people who heard to determine what they were going to do with the information. But the shepherds are the very first guys to spread the word about Jesus. The very first ones to tell their story. You know, when we think of shepherds, we usually think back of someone who is a very um, sentimental individual. We see, you know, an older man with a little lamb in his arms. And we think of shepherds as being very kind, very gentle. We see them in a Christmas play, you know, and they're just, they're, everybody loves a shepherd, right? Little shepherd boy David. Everybody loves the shepherd. It's actually not at all accurate with first century uh, history. In fact, first century rabbis actually had a list that they called a despised occupation list. It, I'm, I'm not making this up. This is real. You know, years ago, William Wayland saying, mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Well, first century rabbis would say, mamas don't let your babies grow up to be any of these things. Gamblers with dice, not good. Usurers, people who oppress the poor. Pigeon trainers was on the list, which sounds weird to us. But apparently there was pigeon racing in the first century, so pigeon trainers were associated with gambling. Sabbath-violating farmers, that one's obvious. And another profession that was on the actual despised occupations list, shepherd. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be shepherds. Because they were seen as being dishonest. They were rough around the edges. You really couldn't trust a shepherd. In fact, again, this is, this is actual historical fact, a shepherd wasn't allowed to testify in a court of law. I talked about these shepherds being the first witnesses for Jesus. They weren't allowed to be a witness in court because they were seen as untrustworthy. If you pulled off some terrible, or if you were accused of some terrible crime and your alibi was, I was hanging out with a bunch of shepherds, you were toast. Because they couldn't testify on your behalf. And no one would believe a shepherd. They weren't considered truthful enough to, to testify in the court of law. You know, there's still occupations that the people sort of make jokes about, right? How many lawyer jokes are there? Only two, the rest are true stories. That's just for Renee and Deb. That's... But that's how people viewed shepherds. No, we just we can't trust a shepherd. Yet, it was the shepherds that God chose to witness the birth of His Son and tell people that story. Why? Maybe because if a shepherd could be a witness, anybody can be a witness. It's not about the credibility of the witness. It's about Jesus. It's about the amazing story that changes everything. Now, one night these shepherds are in the field. 
An angel appears to them. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Even the shepherds. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. The Christ. He's the real Savior of the world. Not Caesar. Savior of the world is not Caesar. The Savior of the world is Jesus the Christ. That's good news. It's really good news. And these shepherds, really on their own, decide, we've got to tell people this. We've got to share what we've seen, what we've been told, what we've experienced. And of course, there's all kinds of reasons why shepherds shouldn't have been the ones telling the story of Jesus. You, you all, you're not educated. That's true, but Jesus... You're not even allowed to give testimony in court. No, we're not, but... Jesus, why should we believe, you know, lying, thieving shepherds? Wait, you make a good point, but Jesus, the message was Jesus. The amazing event was Jesus. When they told their story, Luke said, all who heard it were amazed. And again, it wasn't the shepherds. It wasn't because they were just so smooth and articulate. It wasn't because they'd been to some three-day seminar on how to influence people. They just saw something that was amazing. They witnessed something that changed everything. And they had a story to tell. And those uneducated, untrusted shepherds went about telling the story. And now it's you and me. This is our time. This is our place. This is our hometown. This is where we live. You know, if the good news is really as good as we say it is, why aren't we talking about it more? Listen, this month, the month of December, you're going to have more opportunities to brag on Jesus than you will any other month of the year. In the next three weeks, you're going to have more opportunity to bring Jesus up in casual conversation than you will any other time of the year. In fact, you'd have to go out of your way not to have Jesus come up in a conversation in the coming weeks because the world is talking about Jesus right now. And also because everybody wants good news. We're starving for good news. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of a church that's introducing people to Jesus? I don't know everyone's story here. Maybe you're just kind of starting out in life. Maybe you're long since retired. Whether you're way up the ladder or just starting out on the bottom rung. Whether you're a CEO or whether you're a shepherd. doesn't matter. We've all been called to be life changers. We've all been called to be a witness. And, and nobody in this room is so rich or so talented or so educated or so beautiful. Nobody has climbed the ladder so high that we don't need to kneel at the cross. Jesus is still in the life-changing business. And now He's inviting us to be a part of that with Him. Would you ask, God, would you help me be a little bit bold this week? Would you help me uh, be a little bit 
courageous? Would you bring people to mind? Maybe, maybe my heart's been a little bit cold. Maybe my heart's been a little bit hard about this. Would you make it really warm? Would you make it really tender? Would you help me when I'm with people to think, you know, I could, I could plant a little seed here. I could talk about my Jesus story with this person. I could tell this person the good news of Jesus. I think that's why we're here. In our hometown, I think that's why we're here. We are witnesses to something that changes everything. Not just the fact that the Son of God came to earth, but Jesus lived a sinless life. Because of my sin, He was crucified on the cross. But God brought Him back to life three days later. And today, He's at the right hand of God. And one day, He's coming back. But He's not coming back to make this His home. He's coming back to take us home to be with Him. That's what we need to be sharing. That's our story that changes everything. Let's close with a prayer. Father, I want to ask you for myself and for everybody who's here that follows Jesus, would you help us to remember again? Would you help us just to be undone and overwhelmed again with Jesus and the life-changing offer that the Gospel has that leads from death to life? Father, we pray for those in our lives and for some of us. God, that name, that face, the son or the daughter, the brother, the sister, the guy that we work with, that woman in the neighborhood, that person that we know and love. God, would you be at work in their hearts? Would you be at work this Christmas season? And God, could what happened once through a couple shepherds working at night happen again through every one of us? Could we just be lit up by the presence of your Holy Spirit? Help us, Father, to share Jesus with many, many people that they'll find Jesus as their Savior and that they will come home. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.